Good morning. There we go. It's so good to be with you guys. I just want to firstly thank Ty for uh, just the privilege that it is to have an opportunity to share with everybody this morning and um, to be on this amazing team uh, for which Minda and I are so grateful to serve with you. And I uh, just want to thank Bridget and uh, Mark and Bridget and the Bridge Church for hosting us. Uh, you're doing such a wonderful job. We really appreciate all the people that are helping uh, just make this happen. So thank you, Minda, for uh, you know, enlarging our capacity. I just want to share on some of what that looks like on a more practical level. So we're expanding ourselves. We're enlarging our capacity for the purposes of Jesus, and I want to talk specifically into, and we're going to look at, uh, with the time that we have, we're going to look at the Gospels and the Book of Acts of the role of homes in the fulfillment of the commission. And uh, as we talk about that, I just want to point out what I'm talking about here applies to everybody. You do not need to be on the NCMI apostolic team to do what we're talking about right here. Uh, You do not need to be an elder in your church. Uh, I would say you need to be born again, and, uh, and, and you can do this. I would even say in some way, shape, or form, perhaps we may even say we should do this uh, because once we're born again, my friends, we enter into a new kingdom. You know, with that, unless one is, one is born again, uh, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven, as we mentioned last night, but you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You enter in, you step into a new kingdom, and there is a sovereign reign in that kingdom, a will of Jesus. So if we're enlarging our capacity, it's not just enlarging our capacity so that we can be better people. It's enlarging our capacity to contain on earth the purposes of the kingdom and to release into the earth the kingdom of God. And can I say from a big, broad stroke uh, perspective in terms of what that looks like, because I like simple and I like making complicated things easy. Uh, and I think if you just take a simple look at the Gospels and a simple look at the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter 14, you're going to see four things that are patterns in the, in the ministry of Jesus. And now, as he ta- passed the baton to us, the ministry of the church. Firstly, is that we take the gospel and the spirit of God to where the gospel is not. That's the first thing that, that Jesus did before anything else. Last night, P, uh, Peter, Tyron, Peter's my son, Tyron's my leader. Uh, last night, Tyron said that, uh, actually it was yesterday morning, that uh, the church is called to go, gather, and grow. Gra- gather, grow, go. And if we don't go, we can't gather and really, we kind of shouldn't. I would say the church, let me just say this, the church is really, really into gathering. And we really want to grow. But the first thing that Jesus did was he went where the gospel isn't. And I just want to say and, and ask you to, to hear with me by faith again, before we're about all the church stuff, the first thing is that the gospel, the, 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 the tip of that spirit, arrowhead is the gospel going with the spirit where it isn't from there there are people who believe and those people need to be discipled now we have a reason to gather but not just to have our little holy huddle it's it's make disciples 
Jesus and Paul, uh, referencing Acts 14, once there were disciples, you appoint leaders. And the fourth wonderful step is rinse, wash, repeat. Is that new group of believers goes and does what you did first. And that's why we're in Detroit. In its simplest form, we want to see the kingdom of God multiplying in community. And we're going to look at, in the New Testament, the role of homes. That again, every single one of us can participate in this. I want to ask you to, by faith, enlarge your capacity here. Uh, to, to even hear uh, what God would have to say. Let's just start here. John chapter 1, if you, if you can turn with me over there. Did you know that Jesus started his ministry in a home? We're talking about the Son of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, comes to manifest in perfection what God looks like, and he decides when he's starting his ministry, let it be in a home. I think that's probably significant, would you agree? John chapter 1, verse 30, Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. He comes back. John the Baptist sees him, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Some of John the Baptist's disciples obviously say, Well, who is he talking about? Let's see who that person is. Two of them in particular look at Jesus and begin to follow him. And look at this, verse 38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them, these two disciples of John the Baptist following, and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, Where are you staying? Now, I don't know if Jesus owned this home, if he was renting this home, if it was Airbnb, I don't know. But it was where he was staying. And in essence, it doesn't really matter. The concept is that thing of home, that thing of where you're staying. That he said, where are you staying? We're clearly talking about where he was staying, his home. Now listen to this. And he said to them, come and see. Come and see. Now I want to say our Sunday morning church as important as it is, please don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> Home does not replace what we need in terms of our collective larger gatherings where a different thing happens. But in the, in the home, it's not just come and hear, like what you're doing right now, come and see. It's being witnesses, which is actually what Jesus said that we would be. Not do witnessing, be witness, that people can come and see. Let me just share a little story with you. Uh, moving to Detroit, we b recently bought a house by the grace of God, and um, about a year ago, we moved into a new neighborhood, and when we moved there, you know, we're moving, this is God's house, this isn't our house, he, he's given it to us, he's given our everything, and we're there on mission and purpose, and so we spent hours laboring in prayer, God, how do you want us to reach this people, how do we reach the city, over and over, we just get back to this thing of hospitality, and so we just start inviting our neighbors brand new to the neighborhood. Uh, as a side note, maybe it's good to note, this is not normal in our neighborhood. I mean, there's enough about us that make us an anomaly in our neighborhood to begin with, and now we're inviting people. They don't invite, you don't go into one another's homes, but in come Paul and Minda. And so we invite our next door neighbor, Jackie, and she comes with her husband, uh, Rodney, and, we, and, we, and, and you know what we did across that dinner table? We didn't, we didn't, there was no Bible there. There was no Bible app. I, I don't, we, we just shared some of our lives and we got to know them. <laughs> Can you do that? We built a bridge of trust. But what happened was that Jackie then went, and Rodney wanted to come to our church as it, we began meeting in that area. 
And then Jackie has now, she's now coming to our church and she invites Brenda, her mom. Her mom comes and she gets saved and baptized. How did that happen? Paul and Minda had people over for dinner. Person across the street, the block captain, Priscilla, also invited her over. Actually, we decided to have a Christmas party. We were using whatever excuse we could to try to get people in. And, uh, and let me just tell you something, because some of you might actually want to take steps of faith in response to what I'm saying, maybe. Here's what it looks like. You have a Christmas party, and at least in Detroit, come, whatever, what 6 o'clock, I think. 6 o'clock comes, and it's us and our two boys. We feel like losers. And slowly they start to trickle in in Detroit time. Detroit's famously late. Uh, they start to come in. Priscilla is one of the handful of people that come. Did we share the gospel with her there on the spot? No. We just shared our lives with her. Got to know her a bit. But you know what happened? Priscilla decides she wants to come visit our church. Priscilla gives her life to Jesus and gets baptized. Now both of her sons are going to a... The thing that my son, J.D., give, let's give some J.D. some credit. So J.D.'s having a monthly thing in our home also around pizza and around games and stuff. And, and he and our older son, Peter, just kind of share a little something of spiritual stuff from the scripture. And they kind of discuss it. And so now these teenage boys are coming through on a monthly basis and being exposed to the gospel. I just want to say, if you know Jesus, you can do what I'm talking about. So here's Jesus saying, come and see. And they came and they saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. And that was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Check this out. He, after being with Jesus, spending time in a home with Jesus, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. There's something about having people in our home. There's something about that space that is accessible to every single person. And your home can become, in your imperfection, when we invite people into our home, it's not that they're seeing how awesome we are. I mean, maybe there is something of God that they see in us, but they're also seeing us. And you know what that actually does? Rather than causing people not to be able to receive, it actually causes people to be able to receive better if you're just real and authentic. And so this is how the Son of God begins this ministry. I think that's, that's significant. But not only that, Jesus began to reach his disciples' friends in homes. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 9, there's uh, Matthew is a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated. Jesus comes up to this tax collector, Matthew, says, come follow me. He leaves his tax booth. He effectively gets saved in that moment, and he starts to follow Jesus. What's the first thing that Matthew does after following Jesus that we see in the scripture? Verse 10, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the, speak to me, Canadians, in the house. Are you catching a pattern here? Thank you. In the house. South Africans will count, I guess, too. In the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. The first thing that Matthew did when he started following Jesus was he wanted to have a party and, and kind of around the person of Jesus, this new friend I've got, and invite all of, his, all of his friends. And they were tax collectors and they were sinners. What I'm getting at is Jesus first made disciples in his home 
And as he began to make disciples, he started reaching their spheres of influence through their homes. That's also significant. Let me ask you a question. This same Jesus, who is the same today, yesterday, and forever, maybe does he want to reach your sphere of influence through a party in your home? Maybe? Not only that, guys. Jesus commissions his, can I say, lay disciples. I don't know how to say it. To reach other communities beyond their local spheres by reaching into homes. So when I say lay disciples, I mean other than the 12 apostles. I I believe it's in in Luke chapter 9 that he sends the 12 out two by two to, uh, to preach the gospel and heal the sick. Next chapter, he takes the 70 disciples, which clearly are kind of the broader spectrum of not necessarily the elders of the church, but just born-again Christians. So he sends them out to go do his work. It wasn't just the apostles being trained to do the work of Jesus. It was all disciples, which would suggest that if you and I are following Jesus, we are being discipled into doing the same thing. And what did he specifically tell these 70 to do? Well, look with me here. Verse 5, chapter 10. But whatever, can you say the word with me? Boy, you Canadians. I mean, come on. I know I have a bias being an American, and we're loud and we're arrogant, but come on, man. (laughs) But whatever... House, there you go. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. Drop over to verse 7. And remain in the same house. Are you hearing that? Eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. My point being is that the strategy that Jesus gave for people to reach people in other communities was to reach through find somebody that you have called a person of peace, somebody who's receptive to you, and see if you can go into their house and reach their spheres through that. And so uh, let me tell you a little story around that real quick. Uh, we, we went to an equip just like this a few months ago and, um, in Chicago. And, and during that time, God began to speak to my wife and I that it's time to begin to reach into the suburbs of our city and not just the inner city where we've been up to this point, which is a big shift and we didn't feel prepared for it. And, um, and so, you know, as we typically do, yes, Lord. Okay. We feel like we're barely making it in the city, but let's do that. And so, uh, and so we begin to pray and we be, don't know, even know what to do and begin to do a prayer drive. And the three of us actually went on a prayer drive into a particular area um, where her family had history. Her parents used to lead a church in an area called Bloomfield Hills. And so we just prayed over this place. And Lord, and, you know, how do, we, do, we, do, we, do we start meetings here? What do we do? And or do we trust God for a venue? And at the end of that, I just said, Minda, I feel like all we need to do is pray for a person of peace in this area. Somebody that we can connect with that will open up, that we can connect with their spheres. And uh, so, Lord, we, we prayed, Lord, just give us a person of peace. Uh, the next morning, I wake up with two texts, one from a pastor, Brad, Brad uh, Lane, thank you, in South Africa, saying that there's a guy that has been visiting his church who, wants, who actually lives in your area. I gave him your phone number. He lives in Bloomfield Hills. 
And, uh, and the next text was from the guy. And he says, hey, I've just been at Brad Lane's church. He told me about you. I live in Bloomfield Hills. And uh, I want to get together for, 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 you know, to meet you. And so we did in, in his home. Yeah. Finds out that uh, quite a long time ago, that very home, coincidentally, had been a place where somebody else had planted a church in that living room. Um, amazing. So... Anyways, this guy has been in conversations. We've gotten to know him. He's, they've, he's started coming to our home, into our community group, gotten to see what it is that we do. And we've said, hey, Carlos, I don't want to, like, manipulate you, but here's what happened. You know, here's, here's what I was praying. Here, you texted me the next day. Here's the prophecy that we got while we were in Chicago about reaching into the suburbs. Is there something going on here? And he's like, well, maybe. And so I said, well, what about your home? Can we start, let us launch a community group in your home? And so... We're in the process right now of praying about that. My point is, can you pray and ask God to give you a person of peace? Or do you need to be on the translocal apostolic team to do that? Do you follow what I'm saying? This is what Jesus does. This is how he does it. I'm not saying it's the only way, but certainly if we look at the biblical pattern here, we start to see this is rather important. If you go with me to Luke chapter 22, I want to just point out that just as Jesus started, the first disciples that he made were in a home. How does he end, the Son of God, end this ministry of making disciples? Where, what's the context of it? My friends, it is in a home. And perhaps God wants to say something to you and me of the importance and the simplicity and the accessibility of the vehicle of our homes. Luke chapter 22, verse 10. He said to them, Behold, when you have entered into the city, they're going to the Last Supper. You will meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the There we go. Where he enters. And you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large furnished upper room. This is the, both the setting, of course, where Jesus has his last meal with his disciples. It is also the setting where they are staying evidently after his death and even after his resurrection when they're staying and praying in the upper room in the early two chapters of the book of Acts. And so this is, this is the setting. He says, prepare there. Drop over to verse 15. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, uh, among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I just want to quickly make a few points about what we just read there. One is this thing of, I've already said, it's this thing of he ends his ministry in a house, but, but he ends it with instituting communion. Now, just to kind of back up, in our community group, what we've begun doing with people from our church and people from our neighborhood who are beginning to gather into our home is we get together every week, and I'm not, this is not a prescription, I'm just saying what we do. We have a meal every single week. We share a meal. Everybody pitches in to bring the components of that meal. And at the conclusion of that meal, we are going to share communion. And it is not a highly formal thing. It's very much like what you just read. At the end of that meal, somebody is going to share some simple thoughts on the essence, the idea of what it is that we're doing in communion. I love it. Every single, every single meal ends with us acknowledging 
the essence of the love of God in Christ Jesus, the blood that was spilled, what he did. It keeps, I'll get to that in a second. And then we spill over and we usually have some discussion around, very practical, not, not wax eloquent about all the things we know about scripture, very practical conversation around what was preached on Sunday and then there's some prayer and that's it. This communion thing that Jesus institutes, number one, he instituted it in the context of a meal. I grew up in a Catholic church. My concept of communion was a very formal in a, only in the context of a church building. And I just want to say, Jesus instituted this around an intimate setting, in a meal. I'm not saying that we don't do it in other places. I'm just saying, let's, we need, I think, in the life of our church to get back to that. It's, it, it's, the, it's the spirit of the thing. It's not just some transaction thing. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's that not only are we one with the Father and with the Son and the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did, but we are now one, we are one body. And to encounter that together and to experience all of that. But there's wisdom, I think, in what Jesus did this. One is he told us to do it in remembrance of him, which to me is the most explicit instruction Jesus gives of what we should do in church gatherings in the gospel. That's it. I can't think of anywhere where he actually says to teach or do anything. Communion. That keeps the gospel at the center of our community. Number two, it gives a a organic, real-life opportunity for the gospel to be shared in the presence of unbelievers who are there every single time with an opportunity. You can receive Jesus right now. Here's his body, here's his blood. Here's how, how, how to place your faith in Jesus. I suggest that in some way, shape, or form, perhaps we get back to that. This was the chosen setting of the end of Jesus' ministry you go on, as we said earlier, in the first two chapters of Acts, it starts in the same upper room. So the Gospels begin and end in a home. Acts begins in that same home. Can I say that as this day of Pentecost came and there's this explosive church growth, which all of us want to see, that did not take place, by the way, in a home. So we're not saying that we only reach people through homes I love the idea of the gospel being poured out and God making demonstrations in public of the power of the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. You know the story. But can I just point out that rather than getting a bigger building, they seemed to stay in the same building, which was the temple. They just started meeting in more and more homes. Acts 2.46 says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Let me clarify, the temple was already big enough to contain a large group. So I'm not saying big buildings are bad. I'm just saying the organic empowerment of ordinary disciples to host things that have to do with the mission in their own home. That's what we want to see happen. That's what you and I can do. So for time's sake, we're not going to mention that Acts chapter 5 mentions that they met in daily in every house. And Acts chapter 12 mentions that they were praying in a house. And, but we do, if you maybe just want to go over to Acts chapter 11 quickly. Jesus at the beginning of the book of Acts says that you shall be witnesses to, of me, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. And that gospel breaking out from a Jewish context into a Gentile context was a big, big deal for Jews. 
okay? That was a huge leap of faith way outside of their comfort zone. How did the gospel first break into a Gentile context? You can probably guess it. In a home. God gives a vision to Cornelius. God gives a vision. Uh, Cornelius, who, who is a Gentile, what was known as a God-fearer. In other words, a Gentile who was hanging around the, the synagogue. And, uh, and a vision to Peter the Apostle. And shows Peter, I won't go into the details, how he's supposed to accept what he thought was unclean. And then, that, and then after seeing his vision, he goes down and there are two men who come. Uh, and they say, our, our master Cornelius has seen this vision. Uh, and the, and the man named Peter is staying here, and we need to invite him because he's supposed to teach us the ways of the Lord. I'm paraphrasing it myself. You, you know the story. And where, what happens is that Peter, along with a few of the other disciples, go with them to Cornelius' house. And in that house is Cornelius and some of Cornelius' family. So it's God breaking into a sphere. That's the way God likes to do this thing. And in Acts chapter uh, uh, what is it? 11, verse 12, Peter's now telling the story, and he says, Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren, brothers accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And ver- if you drop over to this, verse 15, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. God crossed that huge threshold from this Jewish and Samaritan kind of thing of the church into the Gentile world, firstly through a, an ordinary oak's house. Or maybe I should say bloke. Or I don't know what Canadians say. Some dude. Some dude. And you guys know some dude. And you and I are some dude. Nothing special about Cornelius, even about Peter. It's, it's a big yes in your heart that qualifies you to participate in this. And God, this is what Jesus is doing. And I think if COVID was intended to, to, restri- to bring us back, to release us from things so that we can be released into what God has called us to do, surely it's the simplicity of the commission. We've got heaven, we've got eternity to praise and, and be in his presence. And yes, we need to be in his presence here on this earth too, but why stay in the earth if all it is is about gathering together and fellowshipping and worship and all that? Why stay in the earth? Why not just have heaven? Because there's a people to reach. That's why we're here. And for most people, you're not going to have one of these. But most people, unless you're homeless, have a home. That's your pulpit. How did the gospel then from there get into this area called Philippi? This amazing uh, letter that Paul writes to the Philippians, this amazing church. Uh, Half of the scriptures that you see cross-stitched on a pillow or a magnet on a fridge come from this letter of Paul to the Philippians. How did this church, this amazing church get planted? You're probably going to guess it. Paul goes in, ordinary custom, go into the synagogue, preach the gospel in that place. There wasn't a synagogue. Looking around, where can I start? Goes down to a river, finds some people who are having a prayer in, in, in lieu of a synagogue meeting. And one lady, Lydia, receives the things that Paul is saying. And look with me, Acts, if, you, if you can get there quickly, Acts chapter 16, verse 15. And when she and her household were baptized... She begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. How was this church planted in Philippi? 
in a house. We see Paul cast a demon out of, of a lady from there, and he, all uproar, as is his custom. He gets thrown into prison. The whole thing happens there. While in prison, God supernaturally delivers him. A jailer views this whole supernatural deliverance from the prison. And, um, and what happens then? Acts chapter 16, verse 34, still in the city of Philippi. Now when he had brought them into his house, this is the jailer bringing Paul and uh, uh, Bar- uh, Silas into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. A region, my friends, broke open through these two houses. Let me ask you a question real quick. Is your house a beginning point for Jesus to reach a sphere? Let me ask you another question. What if someone in your sphere of influence, by sphere of influence, I'm talking about your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, and maybe schoolmates if you go to school. What if someone in your sphere would open up a whole network to the gospel if you first build community with them. I just want to say, let's get on with the mission. Let's find some way to get the gospel where it isn't, and the spirit. But if you don't know where to start, I would say by default, let's start with our own home, building community with people. How does the book of Acts end? Acts chapter 28, verse 30 These are the last two verses of the book of Acts. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Jesus started his ministry in a house. He ended his ministry in a house. The church was birthed from an upper room in a house, and the book of Acts ends in a house. And here you and I are today still carrying on that same baton. And so can I just pray for you? Can I just ask you right now? uh, In fact, yeah, I want to pray for you. But actually, I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Can you just maybe shut your eyes very quickly? The Holy Spirit is able to speak. Lord, let's ask the Lord, are there people that you would want me to invite into my house? Are there people to build a bridge of trust and friendship and relationship who do not know the Lord or who at least are not following the Lord that I can show hospitality to. I can bring them in with the intent of praying over them and seeing them come and know Jesus. So Lord, right now, Holy Spirit, I ask, would you show people in this room, uh, enlarge our capacity, perhaps it's even way bigger than a person. There may be a city in some people's hearts in, in this room. There may be uh, whole groups of people. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would open up, give dreams and visions, ideas, birth what is in your heart into our heart. Use our homes, God. Lord, I bless your people. Pray that that, uh, we would be uh, separated to the fulfillment of what it is that you have purposed for us, the extension of your kingdom into the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.